Welcome to LAOFCS Weekly. We are here at Toronto International Film Festival, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. As Scott said, we are here from the Toronto International Film Festival, and before we kick off the festival tomorrow, we wanted to take a look back at the films that we saw at Telluride. Uh, so this year at Telluride, we saw quite a few films, some good, some not so good. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of talk about those movies, we're going to give you a little bit of the plot, a little bit of our thoughts on the movie, and we're actually not going to give them a rating, uh, just because we think... We want you to decide for yourselves. We don't want it to influence you as much, you know, saying, oh, it's an 8 out of 10, or it's a 9 out of 10, or it's a 2 out of 10. Um, so we're going to step away from that for this podcast. Um, so the movies that we saw at Telluride were The Old Man and the Gun, First Man, Destroyer, Boy Erased, The Favorite, Roma, White Boy Rick, The Front Runner, and Can You Ever Forgive Me? So we're going to start with the first movie, which was The Old Man and the Gun. That's what we saw for our press film. Uh, the first, uh, Toronto, uh, Telluride, I'm sorry. Telluride is interesting because you don't actually know it's playing there until you arrive, which is really fun and exciting and a little bit different. You actually don't even know what the first movie is you're going to see when you go to the screening. Um, so it's a lot of fun, and this year we got to see The Old Man and the Gun, and Scott will talk a little bit about the movie, and then we'll talk about our thoughts. So this movie is directed by David Lowering, and it stars Robert Redford, Sissy Spacek, Donald, uh, not Donald Glover, Danny Glover, and if you the like, older Glover, <laughs> the older Glover, um, and this is a project that is based on a newspaper article written in the New York Times, right? Yeah, in 2003, I believe it was a New York Times article about an old man who goes around and robs banks with a smile on his face. And this is a film that Robert Redford felt very passionately about. He really wanted to do this project, and he handpicked. David Lowry to direct this project. They worked together on Peach Dragon, which I remember him talking about. Robert Redford talked about that a little bit at the Peach Dragon press day. And for him to kind of do a movie to just do this one, I mean, that says a lot about Robert Redford, but also how much he admires David Lowry. Right. So this is a this is a fantastic little film. It, it's a very small film. It, it will appeal, I feel. To older audiences the most. Older audiences or people who have an appreciation for older actors like Robert Redford, I think it's really going to resonate with, um, you know, classic film lovers in a lot of ways because it has a level of nostalgia to it uh, that I think people are going to appreciate. Yeah. I think the film also, like... David Lowry always has a very unique style when he, you watch his films, you know, whether it's Peach Dragon, which he, he considers the darkest Disney film or the saddest <laughs> Disney film ever. Yeah. You know. Until Dumbo comes <laughs> out. Yeah, until year. Dumbo comes out. But, I mean, honestly, um, this movie looks and feels like it's shot in the 60s and the 70s. It looks, it looks yeah. older. Yeah. It, it does not feel yeah. like, like something that is shot like just to look that way. It feels like it was shot in that time period. Yeah, no, I actually think it was shot with 16mm film, if I'm remembering I be I correctly. It. I think it is shot with 16mm. They even use, um, you know, a particular font within, within the movie that is reminiscent of one of uh, Robert Redford's older 
uh, films, films that yeah. he did. So it's you know it really the film really does serve as a great bookend to a great career for Robert Redford. Um, it's been rumored that this is going to be his final performance. He did in the uh, press you know the Q and A after the film. He did say never say never. But, you know, I just, I think it would be a really great film to end on a high note with him. Um, he's a lot of fun in it. It's basically a lesson on how to be the most charismatic actor that's ever lived. Um, and that would be him. You know, he's 82 years old and he's still as charismatic as he was 50 years ago. Um, and he's just, he's an icon. And if you're a fan of Robert Redford or you're a fan of old cinema, um, do yourself a favor. Definitely see The Old Man and the Gun. It's a nice short film. It's only 93 minutes, I believe, was yeah. the runtime. So it's not something, you know, where you see those films that are like three hours, two and a half. It's a nice, short, 93-minute film um, that features a great actor that we've been very lucky to get to see all of the work that he's done. So yeah. check out Old Man and the Gun. And I just want to say, too, about Old Man and the Gun is that like Ashley pointed out, this movie very much is like an homage to Robert Redford. And it's, it's, it's interesting to see an actor who has taken on so many different roles in the movie industry kind of go out like this. Mm -hmm. But it just feels like that perfect ending to a man's a career like his because he's done so many iconic films. And um, I, I'm not going to spoil it, but there there is a level of things in this movie where they show things that kind of tie into his career. That's all I'm going to say. And it, it, it's very rewarding when those scenes happen, and the way that the film ends just feels perfect. It feels like a perfect conclusion, and that's all I want to say because I, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil. I don't want to spoil anything. He always movies. has to like kind of talk I, I know, about the I know, end, but even I, though we just, don't want to talk about the end. It's weird because I feel like that's that's what everyone really wants to know about. You know, it's, I don't. It's, it's really hard, and in, in a review, people want to know like, does it does it hold up in the end? And that's that's. I don't know if people really want to know. Like, I mean, whenever I. Whenever I read reviews from people, I don't want to know what they think about the ending. I don't want to know how it ends. So that may just be a personal preference, but we'd like to see in the comments what you guys think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're the ones who watch us. You're the, one that, you're, you're the ones that pay attention to this kind of stuff. So do you think that we should even talk about if we like the ending or if it makes sense to us that it ended that way? I'd like to know what you think. Yeah, great. Great point. Cool. Next movie up. Next movie. Uh, if you're paying attention to the way that I listed the movies, you're saying, yes, 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 First Man is next. And we're <laughs> going to make you wait. So it's not. Because I feel like a lot of people really want to hear about First Man, so we're going to put it at the end. And we'll talk about <laughs> some other movies. So sorry. But what we are going to talk about now is Destroyer, which stars Nicole Kidman and Sebastian Stan. It is directed by Karen Kusama, and it tells the story of a detective who is kind of struggling with her life and trying to... Frankly, she has PTSD, and she's trying to overcome some issues that she has uh, at when something arises that reminds her of a past trauma. And the rest of this movie is her trying to kind of reconcile with that trauma or bring it to an end or, you know, just get some resolution for it for herself. And Nicole Kidman in this film is amazing. I would not be surprised if there was buzz about her for an Oscar this year uh, for this performance. She's 
you know, physically almost unrecognizable. The makeup team in this movie does an, a fantastic job of making her age, um, making her eyes look closer together, her nose is a little bit bigger, um, and there's just these little details that make you kind of say, is that Cole Kidman or is that somebody else? It's it's almost like, you know, I just thought of this. She kind of looks like a mix of Nicole Kidman and Jane Fonda in this movie. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes, she, she kind of yes, looks does. like a mix of Nicole Kidman and older Jane Fonda. Um, but yeah, I mean, the highlight of this movie is definitely seeing Nicole Kidman. Um, I feel that a lot of it suffered in a way just because the movie does tend to get a little repetitive. It is long. And I will say we did see this movie at 10 o'clock yeah. at night, so that may have played a part in it. You know, 10 o'clock at night after you've already seen three or four movies that day, it becomes a little bit difficult um, to keep your attention. So we will give you that little yeah. bit of a warning. And, and it's also, this is a very hard movie to talk about because I, I feel like if I mention another movie that this reminded me of, it would ruin the entire right. film. Um, it's also kind of hard to talk about this movie because of, you don't want me to say this, but the way that it ends. I mean, again, I'm sorry, but there, there's, there's definitely something that's there that you know we can't talk about. But I will, will kind of say what <laughs> Ashley's been talking about is, is that the pacing of the film is, is really kind of slow paced. Um, it's, it's a very gloomy and doomy type of movie. It's heavy. It, there, it's very heavy. There's not a lot of like humor in there. There's like a few light moments, but they're very, very light. And few um, and far between. And few and far between. Right. There's some really great, intense moments in this movie. One includes a bank robbery scene. Um, but really the reason to see this movie without question is Nicole Kidman. You know, she's she's coming off Big Little Lies. She was incredible in that show. Everyone was talking about her on that. We're waiting for season two. And and she actually had two great movies at Telluride this year, with this being one of them. But this this movie is the Nicole Kidman show and I like you said, I see her being nominated. I definitely see her being nominated. Um, it's likely for me. I think it depends with, you know, Telluride, we're going to see quite, I'm sorry, with Toronto, we're going to see quite a few really good films that may knock that out of, you know, may knock her out of the spot to get a nomination, but her performance nonetheless is really amazing. So, if you're going to see Destroyer and you're a fan of Nicole Kidman, I don't think you'll be disappointed at all by her performance. No, not at all. Yep. Next so up. transitioning into another Nicole Kidman film that played at Telluride, we're going to talk about Boy Erased, which stars Lucas Hedges, Russell Crowe, and Nicole Kidman. <laughs> and it's directed by Joel Edgerton, who was also in the film in a little bit of a smaller role than everybody else. But what Boy Erased is about is based on a memoir written by Gerald Jared no that's the Jared. character's name in the movie but it's not actually based it's, on Jared's yes it is, is it? isn't it no okay. it's Gerald it's Gerald no something. it's J-A-R-R-A-D I think that's another way to spell Jared oh okay Right. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Anyway, Anyhow. Besides the Look point, it up. Sorry about that. <laughs> Wikipedia <laughs> is on there. Um, so anyway, it's based on his memoir of his personal life experiences going through a gay conversion therapy, um, you know, camp, because his father is a Baptist pastor. And he is, as a young man, trying to come to terms with his sexuality and 
his position in his life is very difficult for him because of his sexual orientation or what he thinks is a sexual orientation. In the beginning of the movie, you don't really know if he's quite sure, uh, which is done really well to make you really feel that you grow and evolve with that character. Um, Lucas Hedges is just amazing in this. He has so many contrasting emotions in this. He goes from being very stoic and very serious to just finally lashing out and yelling and not taking it from anyone anymore. Um, The subtleties in his performance are really, you know, spot on. You know, his emotional scenes really get you choked up. Um, The scenes particularly with his mother, played by Nicole Kidman, are really moving and it's just, it's a beautiful film. It tells a story that, you know, it's a lot of the times homosexuality and it being seen as a sin is a hard thing for a lot of people to talk about. And I think that this film does it in a way that doesn't address it as much, you know, religiously. Yes, it's I would more, agree. It's more of a, you know, this is just the humane thing to do. This is just being a decent human being. Um, and I think that that's done beautifully in the film. Um, and I think that that is done so well because of the fantastic writing, because of Joel Edgerton having a vision of what this film was going to be like and wholly believing in it. Uh, it's just, it's it's my favorite film that we've seen so far uh, out of the festival circuit. Yeah. So it's, it's the one to beat here in Toronto for me. Yeah, I, I would agree with Ashley on pretty much everything. Um, this was a film that I kind of didn't really have much of an opinion on going into, and it, it turned out to be my favorite as well. Um, Lucas Hedges is just a phenomenal actor. I mean, we've seen him now. This is like his third no this is actually his fourth like major role in the last like three years and i mean every single time he plays a different type of character but this is so nuanced his performance in this film it's really emotional but at the same time it's kind of like not never in your face like it doesn't feel like preachy or pushy or anything it's like you said it's just a very realistic down-to-earth portrayal of what these kind of therapy camps are like. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to think in the year 2018 that there are not only kids but adults still being put into these, these therapy sessions. And the way that they're treated in here, I mean, it's just heartbreaking watching some of the scenes in this film. But like you were saying about the performances, I, I mean, this is, this is also one of the movies that I think is to be in terms of performances because mm-hmm. – um, you have Russell Crowe, who I haven't seen on film since, like, The Nice Guys, where it's a completely different role here. He looks and, completely different, He looks too. completely different. And, like, you know, you buy into his persona. Like, it's Russell Crowe. You know, you're so used to him being, like, that big brooding guy. And, like, in this movie, he's he's kind of much more, like, toned, toned down and, like, much more religious. But, like, again, not preachy. Like, the movie's not focused on I'm not going to church, like, doing a whole bunch of stuff. It's just... He's there, and he's just he's just really strong in this performance. Mm-hmm. But Nicole Kidman, again, um, coming off of just, just talking about Destroyer, you know, I, I can potentially see her, you know, if she's not nominated for one category, she might be nominated for another category in this movie because the scenes between her and Lucas Hedges are, are again, really spot on. And, you know, I think – I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt you, but I think one thing that I forgot to mention is we are talking about how heavy the film is. Yes. But there is a lot of levity. There's a lot of humor in places that you don't think 
think you would find humor. And some of it comes from Nicole Kidman and Lucas Hedges together. And I think that that is really what helps the film to stay something that's very honest. You know what I mean? Like, when people are going through difficult times, there has to be some humor to make them, you know, continue or be able to go through that. And the film does it in such a way that's so natural that it just, it works perfectly for me. And it also has an appearance by, uh, what's the gentleman's name who was in uh, Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk? Joe Alwyn. Yes. Uh, who which, we've randomly seen in small roles in quite a few films. So, And he's really good. You know, he's great. That, that, that was one of those movies, you know, Billy Lynn, Halftime Walk, where, like, that just failed to deliver on everything yeah. that we wanted. But we and think he's going to be okay. Yeah, I think he's <laughs> going to be great. We're not worried yeah. about him. Yeah. And I, I need to also say that Joel Edgerton is a fantastic dr- director, and he adapted this 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 memoir into the screenplay. And I feel like everybody who was a part of this film felt very connected to this. Mm-hmm. It's one of those projects where you watch the performances, you you get that sense of whenever Joel Edgerton moves the camera, or just certain scenes where he wants to be very honest and raw about what he's filming and he and he, he's not trying to create a bias he's just trying to show you the facts yeah and he's trying to ways. get to the i guess it would be the emotion of the scene you know he the way that he frames things with lucas hedges and nicole kidman is very very beautifully done to show you know the relationship between mother and son and you know their struggles with dealing with how you know things are working out for them so I think Boy Erase needs to be on your list of movies to see. I think we're going to see it quite a bit come award season. I agree. I'm fingers crossed, hopefully. So our next film that we're going to talk about is The Favorite, and it is directed by Yargos Lanthimos. I believe that's how you say his name. That's the guy who did The Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer. So if you're a fan of his movies, you know that they are a little strange. So, this one is called The Favorite, and it stars Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, and Rachel Weiss. And it is an 18th century period piece that is not what you expect from an 18th century period piece. It's very different. It's got a weird sense of humor that you would not expect to see in this type of film. It's also done very technically a little bit different. It's shot with all candlelight and natural lighting. And the costume design is beautiful, and it's interesting. It's one of those movies that I definitely walked out of saying, I don't know if I liked that. And the more that I think about it, the more I think about parts of it, the performances or something else, the more I actually think it is a pretty great movie, and it's pretty entertaining. It is by no means for everyone, but it's a little weird. (laughs) If you like his movies, I think you'll be a big fan of this one. Um, I've been hit or miss. I did not like The Lobster. I liked Killing of a Sacred Deer. This one, I think I'm going to be more on the edge of liking it. Uh, But I think the standout performance in this is definitely Olivia Coleman. Yeah, this is a a period piece that's unlike any other period piece that you've seen before. And that is very refreshing to see because every year I feel like around Oscar time, there's always one of these movies. You know, there's always and, this heavy period yes. piece where you're like, oh, dear Lord. And they usually star Kiara Knightley. Um, <laughs> they do. No, but, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to watch this film because, like you said, um, I really think that Olivia Coleman, as well as Emma Stone, 
Emma Stone is an actress that has been in so many different types of films, and it's a credit to her agent, it's a credit to her at how many different types of movies she gets. Mm -hmm. And this one is unlike anything that you have ever seen her do before. And she's actually the only American actress in the entire movie. So she does a British accent fairly well. Yeah. So, you know, she fits in, but it's, it's just... You don't really want to get into the details of this movie because it ruins too much of it. So I think just knowing that it's an 18th century period piece that has a weird sense of humor and stars those three women should and is directed by Yargos, I think that's enough for you to go to the theater. Right, and I agree. The, the one thing that I think you, you and I both agree with, even, even after thinking about this movie and coming out of this movie and saying, you know what, the more we think about it, the more we like it, there is definitely an issue with the pacing of this film. Yeah. It, 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 it goes on and on and on. And it's like, it's weird because there are just certain scenes that are so entertaining and so funny. Um, but at the same time, like, it's like after that scene happens, it's, it's just kind of like dull for like 10 minutes and then something else happens. And then it's the same thing right. over and over again. And I think what really does that is the fact that the film is kind of broken down into like these chapters yes. and as the chapters keep coming on you're kind of like oh you know uh, now we're at number five yeah we're, and know. i think i think my particular issue with that is i'm thinking oh it's like a three-act play so yes. we did one we did two we got to three and then four and five and i'm like okay so i don't know when this is ending um and it was the movie we saw later at night so you know it's a heavier stranger movie to see later at night um but i mean if you're a fan of yargos i think it's worth checking out if you have a little bit of an odd sense of humor i think it's <laughs> i think it might be right up your alley so that was the favorite um the next movie that we're going to talk about is actually white boy rick um this is an interesting movie because i did not have any desire to see this movie um i remember we were walking to it and i said scott do we really have to see this movie like can't we catch it at toronto i'd rather see blah 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 and scott said no you know we really got to see it we got to check it out and i'm like all right that's fine so we ended up going into it and i'll tell you in the first minute i was like oh no this is gonna be awful and i think it was just this preconceived notion that i had of the movie in my head of like oh this is what this movie is gonna be like and it, it, it has this level of grit to it where the main character, Ricky Jr., um, is played by Richie Merritt, who is a total unknown. He's not an actor. They found him street casting uh, with a really interesting story um, that the director found him by going to a school and the kid was sitting outside of the principal's office and they hired him to play Ricky. Um, and that, with that type of casting comes a certain level of authenticity that you can't replicate with an actor. Um, and it shows in this film. And alongside Richie, uh, we have Matthew McConaughey, who plays his father, Ricky Sr. Um, and it's set in Detroit, and it kind of it addresses the issues that people face in the disparity of classes and race in the same way. Um, you know, Ricky, this is based on a re- real story, a true story. Um, Ricky Worsh Jr. is still in, you know, is still dealing with repercussions. I'm sorry, it's too late for me to be doing this. Repercussions um, from what happens in the movie. And it's just one of those movies that you don't expect to like 
and you end up falling in love with the characters. And the reason that you fall in love with the characters is because they're so, so authentic. And Jan Demanche, who's the director, does a great job of bringing out the relationships in the movie, how the father and son dynamic works, how the sister and brother dynamic works, how everything is kind of rolled together into one. And it really, it's a great movie that makes you question things and makes you think about the status of things and how, you know, it's handled in our country. And, you know, this is something that happened in 1987, which was the year I was born. So it's, you know, to know that this is still affecting someone today, it's just fascinating. So I I definitely think that White Boy Rick may be the movie that surprises you, that you're going to see and you're not going to expect to like, but I think you'll really end up appreciating it. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree again. Um, no, you know, we should disagree. I know we should every once in a while, <laughs> um, but we will. This Don't is worry. one of those movies where the performances really kind of elevate the story, and, and you know, a lot of the themes with our that are discussed in this film are not things that are like unknown. You know, we we mm-hmm. know things happen like this where police go into neighborhoods, poor communities, and, you know, they they judge them and they try to turn, you know, you people know, against one another. And they target uh, yeah. those poorer communities. Yeah, um, it's and been that's, discussed. that's exploited and talked about in White Boy Ring. In this movie. And, you know, I think what you mentioned about this, this Richie Merritt, I mean, whenever you watch a movie – there's always this this notion that you're watching actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny because there's another movie that we'll be talking about shortly that is also like this, where someone who hasn't acted before is starring in a film along people who are well-known, like Jennifer Jason Lee and Matthew McConaughey. And you see this natural progression and almost see how these other actors have to kind of like change the way that they talk mm-hmm. and how they, they're performing to match a natural like relationship. Right. And this this kid is, is is destined to go places if he wants to go places. I mean that I thought was very interesting that, you know, he didn't show up to the uh, Telluride Film Festival because, you know, it seemed like he didn't want to go. And it'll be interesting to see if he actually takes more roles after this movie. But he does bring a level of authenticity to this role that is very surprising. Right. Also, I, I have to give Matthew McConaughey a lot of credit. Um, I've seen a lot of movies with Matthew McConaughey. He's been very hit or miss for me as an actor. Um, you know, Dallas Buyers Club, he's amazing. But, you know, then you have, like those movies that he did in like the 2000s all those romantic comedies where you're kind of like eh, uh, how to get how, how to, to lose a guy in 10 yeah. days and then failure to lie like how to lose a guy in 10 days was okay and then there was then the one failure. where he like lived on a boat and he like oh, went treasure hunting yeah yeah that's with uh the other lady whose career is not hudson very, hudson yes yes and it's just you know seeing him in this role it's a very different type of role for him yeah. and as i said 
it, it's you can see that he's acting along someone who who isn't as skilled as him, and for some reason it elevates his performance. Mm-hmm. And um, again, like Ashley was saying, is that just knowing that this is based on a true story. And, and, and knowing that someone went through this and that the FBI came over, a 15-year-old kid, and, you know, 15, 16, you know, I think it follows him for about three years of his life. Three or four years, and, yeah. And, and seeing, like, how he, he becomes this, this person, who, and he's, he's a 15-year-old kid. He's naive. Right. He doesn't know anything. And, and, and they exploit and that. And they exploit that. And, and to see that this poor guy is still behind bars right. for something like this where he has a greater sentence than people who actually kill someone. Right. It's just devastating. Right. I'm sorry. It's okay, devastating. Okay, so let's let's wrap that up okay. before you give away too much. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry. Um, but I was like <laughs> you. I just I just felt I know, like yes. it was yeah. it was very good. Yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. moving on to the next movie, The Front Runner. Go ahead, Ash. Okay, so The Front Runner is a film by Jason Reitman. It stars Hugh Jackman, J.K. Simmons, Bill Burr, Vera Farmiga, Molly Ephraim, and Mamadou Athi. Um, those are the most notable prominent actors in the film and actresses in the film. And it follows this downfall of Senator Gary Hart in the 1980s. That's correct. Okay. When so, he was running against uh, George running, Bush Sr. When, well, it was when he was running to get the Democratic yes. nomination before the Democratic National Committee. Um, and his life kind of unrolled, <laughs> uh, you know, during that time period. Um, he was a man who believed that in order to rule, people did not have to know his personal life, that his personal life did not affect his ability to rule a country or to help, you know, to be in politics. And the way that the film presents this is really interesting, and it really does make the audience question, do I need to know X, Y, and Z about, you know, the president or a senator or, you know, are we treating politicians more like celebrities when we shouldn't and it brings up a really interesting topic to think about you know there's a scene where jk simmons says something along the lines of you know the stuff that they got away that nixon got away with or so and so got away with years ago you know it, it wouldn't stand now and it's you know we had some of the most effective presidents you know before they were monitored as much as they are right now. So I think it's I think it brings up some really interesting things and it talks about, you know, why people don't run for politics. And it's just Hugh Jackman's performance is really great in this film because he has that double persona, you know, totally down. He's he's a politician at the forefront and then he adamantly believes that people don't need to know about his personal life. So when that becomes an issue he lashes out and he has this you know he he doesn't want to take it anymore and some of those scenes are the best scenes in the movie they're filled with the most emotions and um i really think that mamadou athi in this film is actually amazing yeah i really like his performance i loved him um in this and i think he really needs to get more other you know more films more roles so I'm putting it out there. Hire Mamadou. I agree. Mamadou Athi is amazing in this film. Uh, there's there's at least two scenes with him and Gary Hart, uh, Hugh Jackman in this movie, uh, and they are phenomenal scenes. Uh, two of the best scenes in the movie, in my opinion. Um, you know, watching this movie, and I, I feel like this is almost, it's destined to fail 
this movie. This be- movie, yeah. Because, you know, if this movie came out, think about this. I was just thinking about it as you were talking about the Bill Clinton era. If, imagine if a movie like this came out around Bill Clinton. There would be a much different reaction to this movie. I feel like this movie would be huge. I feel like people would be like, oh, yeah, that's what you're doing to Bill Clinton. But because who's in the White House right now, I feel like this is gonna. This movie is well, not it, gonna have. But it also it it brings up that idea of are our president celebrities? But that's what I'm saying because so, Donald, you know, is is first and foremost really. We can't a go on that topic. I know. I know. We but, we can't go but, on that but, topic but, right now. But, <laughs> Hugh, Hugh Jackman is fantastic in right. this role. Um, the supporting cast is all around terrific. And, yeah, and what's great about the film is there's some really great writing in there, especially oh, yeah. at the beginning of the film. There's this there's this quick like rapid fire, you know, really quick dialogue between the campaigners in the office, and it's just back and forth, and it's witty and it's funny, and that is where you know, alongside Hugh Jackman's great performances, that's where the film's the strongest. Where I think the film struggles is that it's just too long. Like, it it, it just feels long, and you just want it to be over after a while. Because um, the problem with a movie like this and, and the two-hour runtime does not help it is that you do know how this movie's going to play out. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you know how it's going to play out. Right, because it's so, historically based. It's, yes. So... When you have, you get to the halfway mark and, you know, the, the, the crap starts hitting the fan and the journalists start having arguments, you, you're kind of like, okay, move it along now. But there's about another hour there. And I think if there was a tighter, I, I would say maybe like, and I don't know even know where to tell you to cut this, but like maybe a 15-minute chopping a little bit here and there of this movie would make it a little bit tighter and would make a really great film and I, right. I think it, it is a great film but it, I think it could be taken to that next level and of, I mean it, knowing the other thing about going to film festivals is knowing that we might not see the final cut of the film that's true they might decide to cut some of it after they read reviews or after they get some feedback or you know this one I think is set to release now on no, election day election day November so, 6th November 6th so it's interesting I think you should check it out if you have an interest in political movies I think you'll find it pretty great um minus the runtime i think that's the real downfall of this movie so we have a few more movies to talk about we're going to discuss can you ever forgive me which stars richard e grant and melissa mccarthy and it is directed by marielle heller um and this is also based on a true story there's a lot of films that were based on true stories this year um and this one was based on the story of lee israel a former author who gets herself in some trouble with forfeiting, uh, I'm sorry, forfeiting, counterfeiting documents. Um, and it kind of gets her in trouble with the FBI. She's a little struggling through some things in her life. She can't find a job. She can't get her next book out. Um, and it's a very difficult movie in some places to watch because it's another one of those that feels too long, yeah. um, even though it's not that long. Uh, because it's very repetitive in some points. The best part of the movie, for sure, is Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant's uh, relationship together. It provides the most amount of humor. It it brings the film, you know, it kind of wakes the audience back up when they start, you know, goofing off or doing whatever they're doing or having their back and forth. And I think that's where the film really 
grabs the audience. And kind of going off that, you know, um, in the Telluride book, they have this labeled as, you know, Melissa McCarthy's first dramatic performance. And to be to be honest, I feel like her performance in St. Vincent is much more dramatic than this one. Um, this one is a little bit more toned back, you know, like toned back performance from Melissa McCarthy. It, it's, it's not the yeah. character that you saw in Spy or Bridesmaids. Um, I still think Spy and her performance in that film is a lot better than this one. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is, is her best performance since then. Um, with that being said, um, the, the film itself... It, it's a feel in a, in a weird way. It's kind of a feel good film, you know. It, it 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 tells an interesting story. It, it's pretty fascinating, but again, it just it's 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 repetitive and lengthy. And um, after a while, you're just kind of like, okay, get to the point already. Get to the point already. Get to the point already. You know, and, and I feel this way um, because it's like, how many times are they going to show her going into a store and like, oh, here's. Here's someone's signature on this letter. And like they just show it like five, ten times in the movie, and you're kind of like, I get it. That's what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And then they do the same thing with Richard E. Grant, and you're kind of like, okay, I get it. Um, so, again, it's not, it's not a bad movie by yeah. any, any stretch of the imagination. It's just it, – I think they, they sent this one out hoping that it was going to be this big award buzz movie. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't get that from this movie. No, and I mean I think what – Another problem I had with the film is there's a point in the film where there's supposed to be some, like, romantic involvement or relationship with Melissa McCarthy and another character, not Richard E. Grant. And I feel like that never really came to fruition. It never really developed enough for you to have some type of emotional connection to that relationship. So I think that just became unnecessary baggage in the film for me, and I felt like without that, it may have had more of an impact for me. Again, it's not a bad film. It's just not what I was expecting. I went into with pretty high expectations because I really do love Melissa McCarthy. I think she's fantastic. And it just wasn't the big, buzzy Oscar movie that I thought it was going to be. And I mean, I'll just say it. Out of the three films that focus... uh, I'm sorry, not focus, sorry. Uh, Fox Searchlight had at the festival this year, which is The Old Man and the Gun, The Favorite, and this one. This was the weakest. Right. For me. Okay, um, so we're going to talk about the last two films that we saw. The first one we'll talk about is Roma, and that is the highly anticipated film uh, by Alfonso Cuaron. He directed it. He... (sighs) photographed it he wrote he did every damn did thing everything in this movie except for craft services i think <laughs> yes um but the result of it is something that's really beautiful and something that feels very personal to him every single shot in the movie is so well thought out it's crafted in a very specific way it has a ton of emotion in it and for that reason i really do think the film is great I have a huge problem with the runtime on the film. I think it's about two and a half hours long. Two and a half hours. Um, I think even with a half an hour shaved off, it would be a lot better. Um, the first part of the film is is spent getting to know your setting, getting to know your characters a little bit. And the way that he did it, he's trying really hard to develop Mexico City and really give you an idea of what Mexico City in the 1970s was like. And for a lot of people, we don't know what that was. Um, so he does a great job of establishing that, but I feel like that portion of it is too long. It makes you very... Um, I don't just... 
over it. Tired. Yeah. It I just, mean, it's it's not that it's it's beautifully done. Yes. It's a beautiful film. From you can take any shot from that movie, and you can teach you know a course on it. Yeah. You know on how to frame things or how you know long shots or My, this. Or, it's just it's filled. It, you can yeah. tell how great of a filmmaker he is. It's just the length of it really kills the second part of the movie for me. I also. I also need to point out that, you know, we as critics, we, we see so many movies a year. It's our jobs to kind of like give our feelings, point out what's good about it, what's bad about it. This is a type of movie that is, is really made for film aficionados and critics. Um, mm-hmm. If this, if I will be 100% honest with you, if we were going to watch this movie on Netflix and I turned that on and I saw that first hour, I think I would have made it about. 20 minutes in and I said you know what let's turn this off mm-hmm. and kudos to Netflix for actually making such a an amazing film right. and, and letting picking up something that's so art focused yeah. and so specific I give them a ton of credit right. but at the same time like they the problem is and you know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the popular film award with the Oscars this is not a movie for everyone. This mm-hmm. is this is this is a movie for a very specific audience, mm-hmm. and um, with the first hour being the way that it is and how drawn out it is, I, I get it's about setting up, but it's just not going to grab anybody in. Right. And I it, mean, the first you're interested. It's not that you're not interested in it. It's the first couple minutes, you know, first half an hour. You're into it. You're into it, and then it becomes really redundant yes. for me. Um, but I think. When we're criticizing this movie so much, I really think we need to talk about what worked really well. And the second half of this movie is incredible for me. No, it gets to the relationship between the two women. Um, It addresses, you know, differences in class, differences in, you know, wealth and how that would play out. And it just it gets to something that is so beautiful and wonderful and just honest and has a level of you know that level of authenticity that's important in films and i think that alfonso does this in a way that's just totally masterful um the movie yeah the movie definitely reminds me of like those old like italian neorealism films and you know, like uh, Bicycle Thieves and Umberto D and those types of movies. It has that feel to me because, you know, I took that course in college on Italian neorealism and it just, it felt like that from the very beginning until the very end. It was in black and white and it was just this, you know, I could go on and talk about this movie for a long time, but um, the two actor actresses, I'm sorry, in this film who really stand out, and I'm so sorry if I butcher these names. I never took Spanish. Um, Yalitza Aparicio and Marina de Tra- uh, Tavira. I'm so sorry if that was bad. Um, they are amazing. Yalitza had never acted before. This was her, this is we were talking about how there was an actress uh, who didn't ever act before, just like Richie Merritt. She this was her first performance, and she just. She's amazing. She is. She, I could watch her for an hour. Like, if the movie was just her for two and a half hours, I probably could have done, you know, I probably could have enjoyed it a lot more. But the relationship between Cleo and Sophia, who was, you know, those two actresses, it's just, it's so amazing. Yeah. There's a particular beach scene um, in the second half of the film that is just beautifully done. I mean, uh, 
it, it's incredible. It feels very epic, even though it's so simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just marvelous. And um, I just I can't speak a, enough about how great the second half of this movie is because it really is such a strong yeah. movie. And I didn't mean in the beginning when we were talking about this is that what I was trying to get to is that I think audiences and critics – and film lovers are all going to have different experiences with this movie. And that's right. what I was trying to say, mm-hmm. is that we can sit through a movie and look at it with a two-and-a-half-hour runtime and appreciate the brilliance that the end result of this movie is. Mm-hmm. Regular people are going to struggle with that, and that's what I wanted to get to. Right. Is that, um, you know, especially it may not since, have wide appeal. Well, not only that, especially since this is a director who came off making Gravity, which was 90 minutes of space, which was action-packed, intense. Mm -hmm. And then he goes to this, which is a very personal film, Mm -hmm. a very raw film, a very emotional film. So it's a much different thing, and um, I I think you're going to see a lot of this movie. You're going to see it on a lot lot of people talking about this movie. But just be warned. Like I said, if you're a casual moviegoer, it might not be for you. Right. That's it. Right. Okay. All right, last movie. We are at the last movie, uh, and this is probably one of the most anticipated (laughs) films for me. Uh, I I love anything to do with space. I love anything to do with history. I love space travel and the moon and astronomy and everything. So when I heard this movie was coming out, it was right up my alley. First Man, Damien Chazelle directs, and we have his buddy Ryan Gosling is back. And then Claire Foy. Um, Ryan Gosling plays Neil Armstrong, first man on the moon. Um, And his wife is played by Claire Foy, his wife Janet. Um, And this kind of, the film kind of goes through the uh, journey that he takes from, you know, that point in his life where he signs on to be part of these missions to, you know, eventually get to the moon. um, And like how that plays into his life. It starts out, on a very heavy note with his daughter being ill and then he moves on from there and kind of goes on the missions and works through it and you know everybody it's one of those movies everyone knows what happens um so that's when it's a movie like that's when it's a movie like that that's based on real life and people know what happens you have to make sure it's interesting and that is my problem with the with first man I think it is technically fantastic. I think Damien knows exactly what he's doing with a camera. He knows how to build intensity. He knows how to make you feel things um, in the movie when it has to do with the filmmaking aspect of it. Uh, the There are scenes, and this is actually where Scott and I disagree on this movie. There are scenes in the film where he he really makes you feel like you are in a rocket hurtling towards space. You know, the the camera's shaking. He's focusing on different aspects of the rocket. You know, the screws shaking, the metal clanging, you know, the the little tiny minuscule view they get of the sky as they're going through it. It's just, it, it's done in a way that builds intensity and emotion in that regard. Where it struggles... <laughs> Is can I take this? Scott can take okay. this one. Um, where the movie struggles is definitely the emotional side of things, and the relationships 
or the lack thereof relationship within the characters. Um, you have someone like Ryan Gosling, who we have seen in so many different movies, uh, Blade Runner and La La Land, where he's so good and he's so charismatic. But here That's why everybody loves him. And here he's so one note. He's and, so flat. And he's so flat. And one of my major, major criticisms with this film is that this movie – uh, starts off showing this intense scene of him in action in, in, in one of these NASA ships, and he's testing it out. And then it goes to the storyline where it shows Claire Foy and him with his kids. And it's like it introduces something, which, again, we already know what happens here. So it introduces the daughter and being sick. And then, like, within five minutes, that's over and done with. And... I'm sorry, and I'm going to say this, but he comes off like a complete asshole. He like he he doesn't ask how his kids are go, how his kids are doing. He doesn't ask how his wife is is doing. It's just kind of like, oh, screw you guys. I'm going to go to do my next thing. And I and I get it. Listen, listen. The thing about Damon Chazelle is that he ha- he follows the same exact theme in every movie that he's done so far. Every major movie that has hit, it's always about a guy who's passionate about something. Miles Teller and Whiplash. He he wants to show J.K. Simmons that he can do it. He's he's so passionate. Screw the girlfriend. Whatever. Same with Ryan Gosling and La La Land. Screw screw Emma Stone. We don't need to worry about her. I just want to do my jazz club thing. And then in this movie we have the same thing. But what's different about this one as opposed to those other movies is that this one based in fact and I I feel like when you have a man who has a family and the fact that he pushes the the, the family to the side and I don't know I'm not an expertise you know I'm not an expert on Armstrong but the thing is is that you have that dynamic there and to not focus on that and just kind of have Claire Foy show up and pout a few times and like really two scenes with the kids it's like there's nothing to build up and and, and it doesn't just stop there it it, it goes into the secondary characters the secondary characters you see all these people that he's interacting with Mm -hmm. um, at NASA and, and they're like there one minute it, they're gone the next, you know, something happens to them, and that's it. That's all you get. Like, right. there's no build-up between these characters, there's- and I'm sorry. I feel, I feel really passionate about this movie because, like you, I, I, I really want to love it, and from a technical aspect of this movie, it, Damien Chazelle could be the next Spielberg in terms of what he shoots, but at the same time, he needs to work on that story, and he needs to let, the, he let go of He needs to be able that. to capture human emotions, yes. which I don't think he does very well. This movie... You don't even know if Neil and Janet know each other. Right, like right. very you know, besides seeing each other every once in a while. It's just you have no emotional attachment to the characters, so you don't really care what happens to them, especially since you know the ending of it. Right. So it's like, yeah, he's gonna make it to the moon, I know that. But there's <laughs> no emotional connection between, you know, the drama that happens with his daughter, his you know, him being away from his kids and wife for such a long period of time. And again, this may be based in fact but I don't know. I, I tend to think it's just the way that Damien chose to um, frame it, this relationship. And the reason why I think that is because if you look at his other uh, two films... If you look films, at his filmography, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's the same thing. No, and, no, and I know. I agree. It's just I'm saying that it's... The movie would be so more effect, so much more effective if that emotional element wasn't so flat. I think that that is where I really struggle. And, you know, these men are facing something that's 
insurmountable in a lot of ways. It's impossible. But they're they're being, you know, these incredibly brave men. But we're not feeling any of the emotion from any of the characters. You know, it's like Scott said, the, you know, these people who he trained with and he works with are suddenly gone one day. And he has no emotional reaction. It's just I don't know, like, maybe that's how Neil Armstrong was, but it doesn't make for great cinema. Um, so, I mean, I know a lot of people are very excited for First Man. I'm not saying that you shouldn't see it. I'm just saying I do have reservations about it, and I think that's where the film really lacks. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, you know, and to kind of just build off what Ashley said, I didn't – I. I'm disappointed with this movie. I, I'm underwhelmed with this movie. I did not hate this movie. I, 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 did, I know it sounds like I had so much anger, but I just – Damon Chazelle is, is, is a director who I just really believe in, and I, I feel such a passion towards his previous two films right. that when I watched this movie and I, and I saw that emotion completely missing from this, it, it was just heartbreaking in a it lot of ways. It just fell so flat. Yeah, and but in terms of the technical stuff, I mean, the the scenes like I did think after a while some of it was repetitive, and which I disagree with. Which, but that's which, okay. you, which you disagree with, but I feel like if that time was used instead of showing the shuttle going up and showing stuff inside there, if they used that ten to fifteen minutes every time they showed that to kind of build some of the relationships and some of the right. characters, it would have been better. Right. But the technical side of this movie is really fantastic. Um, it, it, you've point, you pointed this out, and I, I got to give you credit for this: is that it feels like an independent space movie. It's it's not grand. It's not it's not like here's mm-hmm. space. It's so vast. It feels very personal. You feel like you're inside the ship, and yeah. you're part of the experience. And it's almost claustrophobic in a lot of ways. And 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 for that, I think that part of this movie is a masterpiece. Right. But the other the other part of it is it, it's so lacking. Right. right. So that's what, that's it. Yeah. And. Um... For a lot of these films, there are detailed reviews on We Live Entertainment. If you want to read a little bit more um, elaboration about them, um, please check out WeLiveEntertainment.com. That is where both Scott and I write reviews. And if you're interested in any of these movies, go see them. You can ignore us. Feel free to. Um, You know, but we want to hear what you have to think if you've seen them or you're excited for them or you have some opinions about what we've said. Um, We would love to hear them. We will say that the first man flag controversy is a little bit ridiculous. Um, It does not affect the movie in any way. Um, If people are just looking for something to be angry at, that's fine. But um, if you're one of those people that's concerned about how that impacts the movie, it doesn't. It's not really, you know, anything. And, you know, it's it's important. Don't get me wrong. You know, in the American in, in the scope of American history, but in the movie, it's. You don't yeah, miss it. It's a little ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, feel free to check us out on We Live Entertainment. Thank you for listening to the LAOFCS podcast. We're live from Toronto, getting ready for the Toronto Film Festival. We will continue to do updates. You can find me on Twitter at Ashley G. Menzel and on Facebook, Ashley Menzel. 
And Scott can be found where? Uh, you can find me at WeLiveEntertainment.com. You can also find me on two shows, uh, which is on the AfterBuzz Network. The first is on the Popcorn Talk Network, which is Meet the Movie Press, which airs every Friday at 9 a.m. I am also on Black Hollywood Live every Sunday at 5 p.m. with Carla Renata. So check those two shows out as well. And, of course, this one, which we're going to try to do another one of these live updates for next week. From um, Toronto please again. Let, please let us know in the comments box below if you like this show if you like this kind of format we're very happy to interact and talk with you but until next time guys i hope you have a wonderful day keep watching movies and we'll talk to you soon bye bye from producers maria menounos kevin undergaro phil svitek and the entire popcorn talk network we would like to thank you for tuning in for questions or comments be sure to visit popcorntalk.com I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.